0: Great Blasket Island, a place shrouded in folklore and history, the birthplace of acclaimed authors Tomas O'Kran and Peg Sayers. Since the evacuation of the island's remaining population in 1953, the only living inhabitants that call it home are the abundance of wildlife, from the hundreds of grey seals that flock to the White Strand, to the plethora of birds that nest in the island cliffs. Billy O'Connor and Alice Hayes are the owners of several refurbished properties on the island, three of which are available to rent. Since 2019, the duty of caretaker has fallen to a couple chosen by Billy and Alice. The caretaker's responsibilities include maintaining the cottages available to rent and providing refreshments for the daily visitors to the island. The job lasts for six months and the couple must complete all their work without hot running water or electricity. Leslie Kyo worked as an island caretaker with her partner Gordon Bond from April 2019 until October the same year. Before the couple moved to the Great Blasket, Leslie had just completed a master's degree in cultural heritage at Trinity College. Her thesis was the intangible cultural heritage of the Great Blasket Island, Before moving to the island, the need to get someone more rural began bubbling up. Leslie and Gordon lived in Kildare and were growing tired of the long commute to their jobs in Dublin city.
1: I had just spoken to Gordon that day at lunchtime about how we had kind of said that we would maybe set ourselves a date to try and make some move by, that we would say, look, let's make a plan now that we would try and get out of the city and out of this kind of lifestyle for at least a period of time by the end of this year maybe, and this was around February. So it was kind of, it, I look back at it now, it was kind of quite frantic when it, we saw the application. I was on my way home from work. I remember it so clearly it was a Tuesday evening. It was awful weather. It was raining outside. I'd had a long walk to the train. I was sitting there and it was quite mindless, you know, when you're sitting on a train on your way home from work. I was just kind of scrolling on my phone and I saw a picture from the Great Blask Island. I followed them on Facebook and Instagram since we'd been there. And a picture of the donkeys and the view I to see came up. And it's so iconic. I always stopped to see whenever I saw it. And it said at the top of it in capital letters, job vacancy. And I can't remember exactly how it was worded, but it was like, we're looking for a couple or two friends to come and live on the Blaska Island long term, which is six months. But in, in Blaska time, that is quite long. You don't typically get six months there. Yeah, we're looking for a couple or two friends to come and to manage the cafe and accommodation. And I... Honestly, remembered remember it nearly in entirely physical terms. I don't remember my emotions. I actually remember just standing up. I stood up out of my chair. Thankfully, we were quite close to my station. So I just walked to the door. It opened within, I'd say maybe about two minutes of all this happening, I was off the train. And I was just staring at this application. It said to call Alice or Billy if you were interested to get more information. So I got off the train and I rang Gordon immediately. I said, like I'd say lightning speed, said to him, The Blast has a job up and you can move and they want a couple and you go for six months and will will I apply? I'm going to apply. I don't think I said will I, I think I said I'm going to. And he was on the bus and he was like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's fine, yeah. Like he couldn't really say a whole lot and I was presenting him with these kind of life-altering circumstances.
0: When Leslie arrived at her car, she wasted no time in ringing Alice Hayes. Alice remembered Leslie and Gordon from when they visited the island in 2017, where Billy had discussed Leslie's dissertation with her. Things looked hopeful, but over the coming days, Leslie watched as the job position gained traction across social media and went viral. That year, 40,000 people applied for the position. Two weeks later, Alice and Billy got in touch with Leslie and Gordon, inviting them to meet for a casual interview.
1: I think they were making sure that we were the right people for it. Also that we would be able to do it, that we weren't kind of being sold some kind of island fantasy, that this wasn't going to be a tropical paradise. It wasn't going to be just making the odd cup of tea. It was going to be hard work and it would be sustained over six months and it would be a lot to take in.
0: Leslie had only made it in the door after the interview when she received the call that her dream job on the Great Blasket Island was hers. From the outside, the job looks idyllic. Almost peaceful to spend six months on an uninhabited island making tea and coffee. But the reality was much more intense. The Great Blaskets business relies on calm seas. And that summer, sailing conditions were ideal most days.
1: And that meant it could be a couple of hundred people on this tiny island who all wanted a cup of tea and I had two massive steel kettles that I had to boil from freezing cold water on a gas hub. And it was just me and Gordon doing all that. He had to take the money, I did the orders, and the queue was out the door. And I could only move as fast as the water would boil. That's not something you can tell the one super queue inside your door. And people were always very understanding. People get it. they're on, a, on the basket, they're not gonna get their cappuccino handed to them in three seconds. If you told me now that that's what I was going to do for six months, I think I'd be a bit like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I think we were a bit taken aback by just how much work there was. You're up at seven in the morning making breakfast, chatting to guests. They kind of have to check out their houses. You immediately go in and have to totally clean their house, change beds, sweep floors, clean out stoves, clean kitchens, clean windows. Literally every single thing you can think of doing in cleaning a house. We had to do that by three every morning. And then run straight back to the cafe, open the doors and start serving tea and coffee and snacks to the hundreds of people who visit the Blasket every day during the summer. All of that without electricity or hot water. I think while we went in with very clear expectations of what the work would be like, I don't know if we fully expected the volume of it. We had helpers come out to us a few times as well who'd stay with us for a week or two to give us a hand, which really helped. It was just kind of little things like that that were kind of just so out of culture with the very slow pace of life that you would expect on an island like that. You'll get moments of complete and utter beauty in the middle of all that. You'll be carrying a bin bag from one house to the other and you'll just stop because you'll just see this incredible wave break over a rock or the clouds moving away you haven't seen the move before or a bird that you have not noticed earlier sitting on the other bench outside. You'll get little moments like that that are just so unique to the place you're in they're kind of punctuating what is a crazy schedule. You couldn't do that your whole life. That could not be a person's career. I actually often think about people who run B&Bs now. As much as the Blasket is unique in that it's a lot packed into six months, it's, it's a huge job and I have a lot of respect for people who do it all the time.
0: People would often say to the couple, how amazing this experience would be for their relationship, to spend so much quality time together. But most days, Leslie and Gordon were on the go from 7am until 9pm, carrying out an array of island duties. This often meant that once dinner had been eaten, the
1: couple immediately went to bed. Those times when it was quiet were lovely. It would often just be the case that we'd hunker down, make our dinner, make our breakfast, light the stove and sit in at the fire for the day and read. Or Go down to the beach and watch the seals for an hour together and maybe go for a swim if the waves weren't too high. But even at that, there were still times, even I remember one of the days when we were by ourselves, we both went went off on walks on on our own. Um, Like I went myself and Gordon went separately. And that was important too. You know, it, it is important to encounter the island on your own terms, as well as as a couple, as well as the island when it's heaving with people. You know, they're all different shapes that the island takes. And it was really important to me, especially to kind of get a sense of it in all those forms.
0: Leslie and Gordon met whilst working together a few years prior to their Great Blasket Island move. This provided Leslie with insight into Gordon's work ethic and values, which is important when you're working alongside only one other person on an uninhabited island. It is arguable that an experience like this has the potential to make or break a couple.
1: We came out of it stronger, but we went into it quite strong. At the very bedrock of our relationship is a very strong foundation of friendship. More than anything, Gordon is my best friend. I think that's what saw us in such good stead when we got there, that there was a strong level of respect there an understanding of each other's touch points. I know what might make him a little bit angsty or he he knows what makes me frustrated. And a recognition of that and an understanding that that's going to happen. Six months on an isolated island doing a busy job, there are going to be days where you're just going to be cranky and you might not really be in the mood to chat all day long. But you know what? Even that understanding and knowing that, that didn't really happen. We were great friends throughout. There was always a laugh in every day. We, We were always able to see the good and things. When I was annoyed with something he tended to be annoyed too so you kind of vent at each other he <laughs> kind of be like look isn't this is so annoying today and you know there was rarely anything like that but you know there would be little things that you could get to you sometimes you need to make sure you're you're very very good friends and if you are just friends that's fine or your sisters or your brothers or a mother and daughter whatever your relationship is with the person that you go with it has to be a strong one there, there really is no room for cracks to appear it would be too tough you just couldn't manage it you live in such close quarters. Sharing a bedroom, sharing a tiny, tiny space.
0: The caretakers stay in a room above the cafe. Along with a relative lack of space, the island comes with its own hardships, such as no hot running water and no electricity. A small wind turbine at the back of the house provided enough power to charge their phones.
1: The blast is quite windy, so it was generally always a good enough supply of power. So we could charge both of our phones, which was great. We were able to stay in touch, but it's also a necessity. We had to do that to get shopping. We sent our shopping list into Alice for food and she would send us bookings. So it was actually important that we did have access to a phone all the time. The living with electricity, I suppose you manage, you know, we had gas for cooking. You get used to that. I hadn't, I hadn't lived with kind of a gas cooker before, but you adapt to things like that. That wasn't really a problem. There was still times I'd walk into a dark room and go to flick it on a light switch and then go, oh yeah, no. There's no in here. We had head torches. We carried head torches everywhere with us. They they were kind of the saving grace, and we'd have little stashes of battery-operated lights in every room, so that was fine. I think the hardest thing was getting over and not having any hot water. I don't care how anyone dresses it up, a cold shower is always hard. You know, you do build up some amount of tolerance to it, but it's always a shock. You know, like and especially we there's no heat in those houses. We only had a stove for heat. They're drafty places. You're cold already. And then you're getting into ice cold water and it's coming from an outdoor spring. The colder the day is, the colder your water is. It never got easier. It was all just part of life there. It actually amazed me at the time how quickly a person can just adapt to circumstances. That's a million miles away from the life I was living before and the life I live now. You just get on with it. And we always joked and said, look, if you do that first thing in the morning, you're you're not going to be colder at any other point in the day than you are right now. As food is delivered
0: to the island each day, challenges present themselves when storms or bad weather prevent these deliveries. This means that Leslie and Gordon had to think ahead and plan accordingly. There was no fridge, so the couple were not able to store milk or raw meat for the first while.
1: I think only around September did any of us think of the idea of an icebox. We did about five days of bad weather and Billy and Alice sent us meat and milk and things packed into a cooler box, which was a great idea. I don't know how we didn't think of it earlier, but it did really help. I kept us we kept our milk for maybe an extra two or three days. That was always the first thing to go. Um, but you do have to just plan ahead, just think about what you're going to eat. And be okay with the fact that you just don't have a fridge. Nothing's going to be cold. You just want anything. Like, all I wanted was an ice pop. That's all I thought about. I just wanted, like, a 99 ice cream cone on a hot day. And that just was not possible.
0: With nothing to stop private boats from landing on the island, my first thought was this is a good premise for a horror movie. Alone on an uninhabited island with just your partner...
1: I often did have kind of this image in my head and it would often come to me kind of when I was going to sleep at night that we were nearly kind of this kind of aerial view of the island, that we were just kind of this one little tiny dot in the middle of this island. And it's not big. It's only about, you know, I think it's five kilometers long. We were at the very front of it and there's this vast emptiness behind us, this long, narrow shape of an island with two mountains and a long, long slope down to the sea. And anything could be out there. You really don't know what's there. And it, there's always this kind of, I suppose, a feeling about the island. I and I always talk about it, and Gordon experienced it a bit as well. This kind of, it, almost like it has a, a presence or a force, as if it is living. It's not just a rock in the middle of the ocean. It seems to have its own character. And sometimes when you're there by yourself, you do kind of remember that. And it can kind of be a little bit foreboding. You kind of have to think, look, I'm just going to put out my mind for the moment. I have to get out of my job. But I suppose that's like anything. You just have to keep going. A lot of people came to us to tell us about how the fact that the house we lived in was apparently the most haunted house of the island. The house we lived in was the Khan House. So the Bufferkeen is the name of the man who was meant to be the ghost that still appeared in the house. The
0: story of the Buffer Keen. As documented by Anita Fenley in her book Blasket Spirit, Stories from the Islands, is as follows. The Khan House once belonged to a man named the Buffer Keen. Not much is known about the man whilst he was alive. It was only following further construction to the house, which became a cafe, did the Buffer Keen make himself known in death. A construction worker named Sean expressed an eerie feeling that he was being watched whilst he worked, and those who worked in the cafe over the years reported a similar feeling, and a fear to sleep in the bedroom above the cafe. Soon Sean's feelings of being watched escalated, and a shadow began to appear to him. The first time, the fear made him lose his footing, a fall down a flight of stairs, and the second time the shadow appeared, it distracted him, making him roll the wheel of his digger over his puppy. This injured the dog, but did not kill him. This shadow never appeared to Leslie or Gordon, but the frightening ghost stories are not the only ones told about the island.
1: West Kerry has an incredible tradition of folklore and heritage. There are beautiful stories about how even now when an Islander dies and there's not many of them left now, actually all the island, original Islanders have now died, but children born of the Islanders, when they pass away, there's a tradition now of someone coming over and going into their original home place and lighting a fire in their home so that they have a place to come back to, that they can come there for their last night and sit at their their old fireplace in the warmth of their own old home. I just thought that was a beautiful reverence for the dead and an understanding of how special a blast it was that if they were to go anywhere, they'd come back there for their last night. And we would have been told as well about, you know, leaving a chair by the fire when you're going to bed to give them somewhere to sit if they want to come down during the night that they have somewhere warm to sit in their home. And we always did that. We always put a chair at the fire. I think West Kerry and the Blasket in particular. I I always think, and it's been said by Mihal Morda, who is an expert on the Blaskets, that the the Blaskets and Corkaghuna, like that area of Kerry, is almost like Ireland in microcosm. Everything in Irish history and everything in Irish heritage and folklore has occurred there in like a smaller space. That's what makes it so special. And I think it's it's so evident when you're there and you meet the people of West Kerry and Dunquin and Ballyferreter, they they really are safeguarding that heritage and making sure that that folklore and those traditions live on. And that's why the Blasket is still so relevant to us today. You know, it is an empty island. No one lives there. But we're talking about it now. And that's because those people have just taken those traditions and folklore customs and I suppose made them part of their lives.
0: Living on the island opened up an opportunity for both Leslie and Gordon to experience parts of nature that in those moments only they could see. So naturally I wondered, what had
1: Leslie's favourite part of the island been? There's a spot at the end of, it's only about a minute or two from the house, where you're looking out at Inis uh, which is the sleeping giant, the island that looks like a giant asleep in the water. The sun sets behind that island every evening. Every evening we would make ourselves walk down there. We might have had a really busy day and be so tired but we were committed to seeing something beautiful every day that you couldn't just stare at the same landscape at the same window because the view becomes just a view even if it's beautiful if you're staring at it every day you kind of become a bit desensitized to it so we made ourselves walk there every day and watch the sunset we watched it as it moved from when we moved there first it was setting at the giant's feet and then it moved to his belly and then it moved to his head and then it moved beyond his head and we left then when it moved to that point but we were watching the seasons pass by watching the sunset over this incredible island. There were other little things, like walking to the very end of the island on my own one day and knowing I was the furthest person west, that you could, no one could be more westerly than me at that point. Sitting there and knowing that, like, one wrong move and I'd be in the ocean and no one would ever know I was there. And this kind of very extreme sense of being kind of that close to nature and that reliant on myself I think that in itself is quite a life-altering experience and it's all just those little small things you know little tiny moments. The people we encountered and the amazing people we got to work with and meet are all obviously some of the highlights and they're the things that will kind of keep us linked to the island for the rest of our lives but I think in the quiet moments it'll be those small things that'll always be the things I think of when I think of our time there.
0: After Leslie and Gordon's island experience came to an end, the couple jetted off to Paris for a weeks-long holiday. Leslie describes how they were only just coming to think of what was next for them when the pandemic hit. This put a further hindrance to their plans. Leslie currently works in funding and development for a charity, but cites this career change away from heritage as a result of the pandemic and not due to any lack of interest on her part. Gordon works with the Western Development Commission on their circular economy project. This entails looking to reduce plastic pollution in the ocean. The island showed Leslie that she needed to take a step back and really think about what it was she wanted to do next. And while the pandemic has delayed future plans, it has allowed for more time to figure out what it is she really wants. The aim is to one day move to Kerry, which will guide Leslie’s decisions as she is happy to do anything as long as she’s in that environment. Their first big step in this direction was moving to Galway, away from the hustle and bustle of city commuting. It would appear that the couple’s time on the island has guided much of their decisions following their experience there. This left me intrigued to find out had the island changed, who Leslie was as a person.
1: I always think of Maria Simmons Gooding. She's um, an incredible artist who lives in West Kerry. She lived for a time on Inishvik Lawn, which is another one of the Blasket Islands. A lot of her work is inspired by that landscape. She has been asked in the past about the time she spent in the Blasket and she said that it didn't change her, it just showed her who she really was. And I'm paraphrasing that a bit, but that's pretty much how I feel too. I don't think it changed me, I think it just let all the unnecessary things fall away. When you're living that close to nature and so reliant on the strength of another person and the landscape you live on to kind of sustain you and keep you going and you know how really everything is down to the, the basics your, your life is very much just about keeping going every day and appreciating the place in which you are I think that just showed me that's all I really care about is the people around me and the place that I'm in and the rest of it is all just kind of noise I think I needed something like that to really pull me out of the fact that I had kind of become a bit consumed by the need to kind of constantly be moving towards something or being too consumed by social media or getting a good picture for Instagram or things like that. I, I, that kind of all just fell away. It has completely re- reshaped our lives. Um, you know, Gordon and I were living in Dublin. We now live in Galway. We committed ourselves to a life that is much more closely tied to the west coast of Ireland, doing jobs where we feel that we're kind of more closely aligned to what we actually want to do not to be kind of just giving into to things that make our lives a bit easier but maybe working a bit harder to get the things we really want the Velasca did all that for us and after the Islanders left in the 50s it was said in a newspaper article about them far from forgetting their native shore the Blasket guides their lives and that's just absolutely been the case for us ever since we left
0: For a lot of people, the Great Blasket Island invokes painful memories of the Leaving Certificate, from Peg Sayers to the poem I learned by Moira Onion garrault Many of us who do not live in West Kerry and have not learned of the island's rich history view the island as just that, a rock lying in the ocean. And yet it represents so much more. No one has lived there year-round since the 1950s, And in a way, the island has been frozen in time ever since the islanders left. There are no cars, no phones, no modern buildings, not even hot running water. The Great Blasket Island symbolizes something that a lot of people are craving. Escape. To press pause on 21st century responsibilities and the modern world, And while working there for the six month period is by no means the island fantasy one would envision, after learning of Leslie's experience, visiting for me seems like a more attractive proposition than ever. To stay on an island where it is only you, the wildlife, and the ghosts. This has been Pressing Pause, a six month adventure on the Great Blasket Island. The show was presented and produced by Katie Hackett and is a School of Media Production for TU Dublin.